Hey, listeners, my name is Bryn, and you are listening to a brand new podcast that we have teed up for you today. We're looking to bring you some fun and some hilarious moments, some good talk about movies, pop culture, whatever whatever else pops into our minds. Um, this is Popcorn Society. Before we get started, we'll do a little introduction about ourselves. Um, my name is Bryn Mercado. You might have formerly heard me on the ever-so-famous podcast Mercado Vision. And my partner in crime on Popcorn Society is the one and only Troy Dodd. Troy, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, why they should, you know, tune in to your movie talk. Well, hello, listeners. I am an avid film watcher, film goer. I've been a lover of everything cinema since I was eight years old. And I saw Star Wars in the theater for the first time. And I think that's even a claim that Bryn can't make, that he saw Star Wars in the theater. So. I was not born when Star Wars came out in the theater the first time. I didn't even come along until, I think, Return of the Jedi, uh, 1983. And did you see that in the theater? I think, you know, I, I went straight from the hospital to the, the movie theater in 83. If you had parents that cared about you, they would have done that. So. I know. My parents, what were they thinking? But anyway, I have loved films since I saw Star Wars in the theater. Um, I'm an avid comic book reader. I love to read science fiction, fantasy. Actually, I like to read anything and everything. I like to watch anything and everything. My tastes aren't limited to just, you know, horror, science fiction, or comic books. I mean, I love a good drama. Yeah, I just, I love movies. I love to talk about movies. I am really excited about this podcast and doing it with you, Bryn. Excellent. I am so excited to have Troy as my partner for this podcast you guys, this is going to be great. I mean, the the name of the podcast is is Popcorn Society. Uh, we're which, we're basically two old guys that love movies, and if I can talk about movies all day with one person, Troy is number one on that list. So hopefully, you listeners enjoy the conversation as well. Uh, we're going to talk about pop movies, pop culture, whatever else pops into our mind, and just have some fun with it. Our big episode that we're kicking off uh, the podcast with is Oppenheimer. We're starting it off with a bang. Okay. You just made a dad joke. Is in poor taste? I was hoping I you weren't going to make that joke. I don't know. Well, let's just say Oppenheimer is a huge, epic movie. And that is right up the alley what we like to bring to our audience in terms of discussion. So we are talking about Oppenheimer today. We'll talk about it and have some fun and hopefully uh, shed some light on what we think about the film. First impressions, uh, before we kind of dive into the nuts and bolts of Oppenheimer, Troy, what were you thinking? What were your expectations going into the movie for 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 our listeners out there this is important to know troy is a guy a man he thoroughly and avidly stays away from movie trailers most of the time so i'm curious troy did you watch any trailers for oppenheimer and if you did or did not what was your expectations going into the film well that is correct bryn i do not watch trailers for movies that i know i'm going to see mm -hmm. and i will see any movie that Christopher Nolan puts out. So I avoided the trailers for this. Obviously the hype around this has been around for a while. So I was aware of the movie, me being an old guy, me being a, a grandpa. I mean, I obviously knew who Oppenheimer was. Yeah. I had actually seen, I don't know if you had seen this movie, but there was a movie made, I think in the nineties, it was called fat man and little boy, I believe. I did and, not see that movie. Is it like a true right. story or another fictional, not a fictional, but a, a 
Hollywood story about Oppenheimer movie? It's it is. It's more about the atomic bomb. So they spent a lot of time at Los Alamos and just how they created the atomic bomb. Oppenheimer, it's the majority of the movie is about Robert Oppenheimer's um, security clearance, very controversial um, security clearance meeting and how they were trying to revoke his security clearance. So that's what this movie really centers around. I mean, to, to talk about Christopher Nolan here, the Dark Knight trilogy, Interstellar, Inception, Tenet, Dunkirk. Um, these are some movies. Memento is what he kind of first came, you know, put him on the map. But I will watch any Christopher Nolan film. I think he's one of the best directors in the last 20, 30 years. And he does it on a huge, big scale. A lot of times with not a lot of CGI, which is pretty cool. Give him some props for that. So this was but his film after Tenet. Uh, I kind of came into the movie. I knew the cast. I knew some of the actors that were going to be in the movie. And I knew it was a, a Nolan film. So that's all I needed to know to go to go watch it. And... We'll kind of dive into the cast a little bit too, but what are your, do you think Nolan is a good director? Do you, I mean, you kind of spoke about his movies a little bit, but overall, do you think he is, does he deserve all the praise he gets in terms of cinema? He's a very ambitious director. Right. I don't, he, and he, de he definitely has his fanboys. Interstellar wasn't another one of my favorite Christopher Nolan movies, but people who will rank Interstellar up there with inception with mm -hmm. the dark knight i don't so he definitely has a loyal following he's an ambitious director i think his the way he tells stories are very unique when he was first given the batman movie i thought well this is interesting because the biggest budget he's ever worked with and such a big mainstream character because before the batman movies he did kind of small smaller kind of quirky indie flicks i think his biggest studio uh, movie before the Batman was Insomnia with Robin Williams. Did you ever right. see that movie? Al Pacino. Yeah. Yes. So I think that was his first big studio movie, which I enjoyed. I, it was, I don't know if you realize it was a remake of Didn't a foreign that. film. He is a, especially in the last few, I think the, you know, with the chops that he did with the Batman movies, I think Inception really put him over the top. I think there's a lot of people who will put Inception as one of their top films, top five films ever. I don't necessarily think it's that great, but it is a unique vision. Yeah. I think over the course of these episodes, I think our audience will find out I'm not a fanboy. Like I, <laughs> I will pick apart any director, any yeah. film. You're not a fanboy of anybody a, or anything. Yeah, really. I'm not. I'm not going to praise a movie just because it's directed by a certain director or. It's got certain subject matter or has a certain character in it. The movie has to be good right. for me to defend it and to say that it's good. If yeah. it's not good, I will say it's not good. I don't care who directed it. <laughs> I don't care if my mom directed that movie. It's not good. It's garbage. Just the last few words on him. I think arguably, I mean, he, he created, not created, but he directed arguably the best superhero trilogy of all time, arguably, in the Dark Knight trilogy. Think about a trilogy of superhero films but all done by the same director he could be that could be argued that he has done the best one with the batman films inception i'm not saying it's like a top five movie of all time but i think it is a top five movie in terms of 
when I walked out of that theater, I was like mind blown. I was like, what the hell did I just watch? And like, I just came out of that theater, like, like awestruck of what just took place on the screen. Not that that means it's like, it's like the best movie of all time. It deserves like best picture, but like, as far as a movie experience, I just always will remember that watching Inception and, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for that. To take on more of a, you know, it's not like a, this is not a science fiction movie. It's not a big action flick. It's more of a, you know, a biopic. Is that my saying that? A biopic of, uh, of Oppenheimer. Biopic, 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 either one works. Biopic. That's, um, that was enough reason to go see it. Um, We'll talk about two. You can't really put Christopher Nolan in a film without having usually, usually Hans Zimmer do the score. He's done almost every Christopher Nolan film with the exception of the last two. Um, he did not do Tenet. He did not do Oppenheimer. I think mostly in part uh, because he was had a conflict in schedule because Hans Zimmer's working on the Dune films. That may or not may, may or may not be true, but uh, the composer for, for this movie, I think did an excellent job, um, Ludwig Goransson. And again, I'm not really good on pronunciations, so forgive me, listeners, forgive me, you know, cast and crew if I butcher names, but uh, Ludwig Goransson is an excellent composer. I think he did an excellent uh, score for this film. Thoughts, Troy? Um, To tell you the truth, I really didn't notice the score. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. That could be a good thing sometimes. Yeah, so I didn't notice the score that much. And you're right, usually with Christopher Nolan, especially with the Batman movies, and he with Hans Zimmer, which we've both seen in concert, which was yes, fantastic. If anybody out there gets a chance to see Hans Zimmer in concert, do it. You won't regret it. So Ludwig Gorenson is a um, composer that I am aware of. Done Venom, a movie which I do not like. Uh, Creed Black- 1 and Creed 2. Which Black Panther. I, I do like those movies, right? Black Panther which I actually saw um, Ludwig Gorenson saw a screening of Black Panther with a live orchestra at the Hollywood Bowl, and he was conducting it. That mm-hmm. was fantastic. Like I, the soundtrack, the score of this movie isn't as big as some of his other movies. Yeah, it's not because, as like, memorable. It doesn't like you don't leave the theater right. humming, humming any kind of like tunes, right? Any kind of uh, Ex- scores in your head. Exactly, because I cannot tell you, I can't hum a theme that was in that movie. <laughs> I can't recall a theme that was in that movie. And once again, yeah. I'm not saying that's a, a bad thing. That could be a good thing if it's kind of seamless in the background. But uh, it is different for him. Right. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I think it's, it's a, a good score, but not a memorable score. Like, both things can be true, right? I think it was... Um, it flowed with the movie really well, but I don't know if he's quite on the Hans Zimmer level, but I think it was, you know, worth noting that he did a pretty good job. Um, but yeah, I'm not leaving the theater humming any uh, Ludwig Goranson music. Uh, yeah, I'm not putting it, it's, it's not going to be my ringtone anytime soon. Yeah, I'm not signing up for a, a Ludwig Goranson concert yet, but you know, maybe he's, he can give me a few more films and we'll, we'll, we'll think about it. In terms of writing, he no, no one did the writing in this film. Is that correct? I think there was a co-writer. One thing that Christopher Nolan, I do want to talk about is he does like his convoluted timelines. Yes. Even on, even on a, you know, a biopic such as this, he found a way to jump back and forth in time. 
at least it was pretty straightforward. He did a good job of differentiating. You knew when you were back before the Los Alamos and the atomic bomb, or then he would jump forward into the security clearance meeting or um, right after the events of the, the bombing and then jump back again to, you know, the actual development of it. So I think it was pretty clear cut. There was no confusion in that way. I was never confused in the movie. Some of his movies can be confusing, you know, a little bit. Tenant for one. Memento kind of sometimes, like, you have to give it a second viewing to kind of really figure out what's going on. Yeah. But I was following the story perfectly fine, you know, for the first time viewing it. I ha- I was not confused at any point. I don't think I felt confused, but it was a little bit of a mental exercise on my part to, like, just keep in, keep track of where we were in the film. Uh, Nolan does jump around a lot with time in his movies, almost all his movies, some more than others, and some time is looked at differently than others. Um, it's never just linear, right? But um, I think it was fine the way it was in terms of jumping kind of back and forth between times. I think they probably did it a little bit too much for my liking. Uh, maybe could have used a little less of that. But the use of the color was interesting too because some scenes or some parts of the movie were in black and white and some were in color. And I think I read that the black and white parts of the movie were from one point of view and anything in color was from Oppenheimer's point of view. Did you read that as well? Or did you know that? No, no. But I mean, I did appreciate the, when he would differentiate because it did make it easier to understand like, okay, we're in a different time period or talking about a different period of time. Yeah. I would have to give the movie a second viewing to, you know, see if that's from the point of view. If so, great. I, you know, I think that that's a brilliant move. That's a brilliant directing call there to, I mean, not he's obviously not the first director to do it, but uh, there are several different um, perspectives of this story that we are introduced to in this movie. We're not yeah. just getting Oppenheimer's story. We're getting other people's take on it as well. So it makes sense that he did that. Yeah. But it wasn't confusing in, in any way whatsoever. Sometimes yeah. Nolan's films can be a bit confusing and you really, yeah. it's, a, it's a mental exercise to watch yeah. the movie. I was just going to say a mental exercise. Don't, don't go to a Nolan film and just think you're going to relax and just like be able to just sit back and enjoy, drink, eat your popcorn and just like, you know, be a blob and just enjoy the movie. No, you got to like pay attention to the details of what's happening in the movie because he is an extremely intelligent director and he kind of, likes to let you know that with his movies sometimes too much i think tenet my brain was hurting watching that movie and i think nolan he's like a genius like i said but sometimes he goes a little too far in his films to like show you how much of a genius he is and none of his films are just like you take it easy and watch and enjoy they're all kind of mental exercises and this was also a mental exercise to watch oppenheimer but like like you like you said it wasn't confusing but it is it is like you know a mental exercise you got to pay attention to what's going otherwise you're just going to be like this movie sucks <laughs> you yeah. know what i like to um if i'm in a movie where i have to really pay attention and that's almost every christopher nolan nolan movie mm-hmm. you know how most modern movie theaters now there's a recliner i will yeah. not recline the seat for a christopher nolan movie because that that puts me in too much of a relaxed mode. To relax. You can't and relax. I cannot be relaxed when I'm no. watching a Christopher Nolan movie. No. Now, you know, if I'm watching a horror movie or something else, 
I will have my feet up above my head watching that movie and I'll yeah. be okay. And I might even nod off, but <laughs> I will not recline the seat for a Christopher Nolan movie because I have to be front and center leaning in just to, you know, make sure I'm getting everything. Cause you're right. He, his storytelling is very, can, can be very complex and you have to just utilize every ounce of your gray matter to your gray matter. And you do have to watch it going on. sometimes. I mean, it's almost like a, a in his film, sometimes they keep on giving in a certain way because the more you watch them or you watch them again, you kind of appreciate them more or you pick up things that you didn't pick up before because they, the movies are so layered and so complex. So it's almost almost impossible to really get everything on that first viewing because there's so much in there. So maybe that's a, a credit or a very positive way of looking at his films is that the more you watch them the more you kind of understand them because they can be very hard to understand and this can even can be said about like the dark knight you know you watch it multiple times and you just appreciate it more and more because of you know you get to notice different things in the film that you didn't see last time or you get to you see what you see what you have a better grasp of what's happening in the film once you've seen it already one time you know what i mean Yes. Well, I think Oppenheimer is probably his most direct, even though there is a bit of a convoluted timeline. I think just because it is also a very dialogue driven movie, you know, there's yes. very little action in it. So it's his most direct. It's his most I'm not going to say it's his most accessible because the subject matter is a little bit weighty. And I'm not saying you have to be a nuclear physicist to understand this movie, but you know, there are a lot of scenes in classrooms and they're talking about, you know, just how right. they're develop developing this weapon. But it's still, I think, his most straightforward movie. Yeah. Probably Maybe his least the, amount of action he's done in a long time, right? Right. Maybe with the exception of Insomnia. I think that story was also pretty straightforward. Um, his The thing about Insomnia, when's the last time you saw Insomnia? It's been a long time, maybe five or six years ago. One thing he did really well, and I think it was with the color palette that he used. He had a brilliant cinematographer with that movie. In case anybody hasn't seen the movie, it's called Insomnia because it's set in um, the Arctic Circle in Alaska mm -hmm. where it's daylight all of the time. And he does a very good job of the main character, um, Al Pacino's character in there is getting used to all the daylight and he's kind of hazy. You know, the lack of sleep kind of makes him confused. And I actually felt that way watching that movie. I I felt like I hadn't slept in a week. And I really, you know, can... He did a great job, I think. And he wanted to... That's what he wanted to get across on the screen was Al Pacino's, you know, some of his lack of judgment because he wasn't sleeping very well. But Oppenheimer was also, I think, very straightforward. It was... He did a great job of getting into what he felt was Oppenheimer's state of mind and how he was perceiving what he was doing. He he made some very interesting directing choices. I think right after they had did the Trinity test and they realized that the, um, that they were dropping, I think they had just dropped the bomb in Japan and they, mm -hmm. he, you know, he had that, that group kind of come in and he made a speech and they're in the bleachers. And while he's making that speech, he kind of visualizes what was happening to the people in Hiroshima. Yeah, which I thought was very effective storytelling. It was oh I yeah, thought, the, the way he directed that scene that the way he directed that scene was so powerful, you know, and just you can feel the way that Oppenheimer had this conflict about 
you know, this great achievement he just did, but what he ultimately did was create a weapon of mass genocide. Yeah. And, and you could see it in that scene. Yeah. I think powerful is a good word to use in terms of describing the movie. I mean, you felt the power of what had been created. And I think um, obviously Nolan injected that into the film, but to get into the acting a little bit more, Killian Murphy really did a great job, I thought. I mean, maybe he'll be nominated for Academy Award. I think he'll be in the discussion. But through him, who plays Oppenheimer, you feel the weight of kind of his character and what he is going through in terms of being mostly responsible for the father, quote unquote, of the atomic bomb and everything he went through to go by step by step to put it putting it together to creating the bomb, envisioning the bomb, testing the bomb, to deal with the experience of having the bomb go off and be used as it was. I mean, I think you do see all of that come through in Killian Murphy's performance. And I was I was very impressed with not only his acting, but um, a lot of other actors, but he did a, a great job, I thought. I don't think it's going to be any surprise to anyone if Killian Murphy comes out of this with an Oscar nod I think RDJ, Robert Downey Jr. did a fantastic job. There wasn't a bad acting job. I mean, if you look at the cast, he, I think Christopher Nolan can pretty much pick and choose anybody he wants to be in his films. Right. And he can get the top level of talent. And he did for this film. I mean, you had Robert Downey Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt. I'm sure she's going to get an Oscar nod for this. Great. Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh, yeah. She she's not in it that much, but her performance yeah. was oh, but when she's in very it, powerful. You, you recognize when she's in it. <laughs> oh yeah. She's hard to she, she's hard to miss. She is hard to miss. I'm sure you're talking about that one scene in the uh, yeah, there's a couple scenes where like, okay, yeah, let's just let's just say what it is. I mean, this is the first film I think where he's had full on nudity, not full nudity, but good amount of nudity. In a little bit of a, his film, um, right? That was a little surprising, yeah. but uh, but yeah, Florence Pugh does have that sex scene with Killian Murphy. The weird thing is that it's it is a sex scene, but it's not sexual in any way whatsoever. No, no, like it's, it's, Killian's expression is like he's not really <laughs> enjoying it, or just like he's very straight faced, which is a an interesting choice. I thought right, but I thought it it's still once again because. Nolan wanted us to see from Oppenheimer's perspective on the events during that security clearance meeting and and when testimony was being read back to him. And he did a great job. Um, but everybody, all the actors, I don't think there was a bad acting job in this movie. But once again, I mean, Josh Hartnett, I hadn't seen Dude, Josh Hartnett Josh in a Hartnett, while. Where has that guy been the last 20 right. years? I told I my wife time- that like, I told my wife that you know who was in the movie? Josh Hartnett. And he did actually a really good job. Like I was caught off guard by Josh Hartnett's performance. I mean, he looks older. I mean, I remember him as a 20 something year old doofus actor from like the faculty or Pearl Harbor or whatever. But like he was impressive in this movie. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, he was great. Like I said, there wasn't a bad acting job in this movie at all. But that's something that I think because top level talent wants to work with Christopher Nolan because, you know, he's got a reputation now. Not all of his movies are huge blockbusters, but I think they do well for the studios. I don't think his his movies are losing money. 
Speaking of which, I'm sure you know this was his first movie after that huge deal that he made with Universal. Right, because he's with Warner Brothers for a long time, right? And this he is his was. first film since kind of breaking up with Warner Brothers, so to speak. Right, and Universal gave him just a huge, huge, I mean, a lot of money. He's got Spinal Cut, and, and yeah. I, I'm pretty sure Warner Brothers gave him on that. But they also, were you aware of this, that Universal acquiesced to, because Nolan wanted this movie to be in every single large format screen that there was he wanted that was one of his stipulations he said he wanted in all the premium formats Mm -hmm. and universal went out there and just pushed it to all the theater owners and they agreed because it's once again it's christopher nolan so they promised him at least three weeks of all their premium format screens which kind of got up the ire of tom cruise i read that because yeah yeah, because he wanted his movie the mission impossible dead reckoning to be in some premium format screens as well i mean i think it was all amicable at the end i think tom cruise you know he was just like fine he he didn't fight it i mean it wasn't a huge it's it wasn't a huge media story it, it did pop up there but um yeah which yeah. i always thought was interesting because i thought this film of all of his films was probably didn't need to be in a large yeah i was just format. gonna say that because of the lack of big scale action, like there's only one part of the film that really could have benefited from an IMAX or large screen format was when, when they tested the bomb, right? That was kind of in a way, kind of the apex apex of the film in terms of like the action or the, like the big scope of, of visual effects. And you still had an hour of the movie that occurred after that. But yeah, in terms of the, the big screen, yeah, it's one of his films that probably utilized it the least. I think Tom Cruise does have a point. His film probably is more enjoyable to watch in an IMAX because there's so many big set pieces, action um, scenes, and all that things happening that would really be fun to watch in an IMAX. Whereas this one, even though it's a Nolan film and a, a film about the atomic bomb, it had very little of that in it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean the majority of this movie is it's dialogue. <laughs> in, is is indoors somewhere? You're either in a classroom. Or you're in a tiny office. A laboratory, yeah. Right. Or you're in a Senate chamber, which isn't that big at all. Oh, yeah. So, there, are, yeah, there are some or, scenes when they're going out to kind of scout the Los Alamos um, site. But once again, I don't think it had to be in a large format. But I know yeah. Christopher Nolan loves working with IMAX you know, cameras. He loves that huge yeah. um, format. So... But do this was know, probably. Do you know what caused the Warner Brothers, Christopher Nolan, like breakup? Was it something to do with how Tenet was handled or released that that kind of sent him off the wrong way? Or do you have any knowledge as far I as mean, why he left Warner Brothers? Let's be honest. It was money, right? I don't know. Was Universal it? Universal offered him a shit ton of money and just pretty much unprecedented amount of control over his films it's always about the money it is always about the money you know the thing about tenant and its release i think warner brothers though right that's why i think warner brothers did the best that they could do because christopher nolan was insisting that this movie be released in theaters in the middle of a pandemic right so like what what does he expect's gonna happen exactly nobody's going to right and warner brothers did they still pushed it to be put out there and it was 
this was probably Tenet was probably his least just taken aside from the fact that it was released during a pandemic, probably his least reviewed like favorably with the audience. The more more people I've talked to about Tenet has said like, eh, you know, it's confusing, not his best film. Mm -hmm. I think people would rate Tenet as one of his probably bottom films. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why, took... and you think that kind of had to do with, he's like, all right, I need to go somewhere else. And, and Universal is like, here, here's a bag of money. Come oh yeah, I think. Do whatever you Universal, want. Yep, Universal gave him just carte blanche on any movie that he wanted to do, they would give him the money to, to make it and whatever stipulation final cut, if it wants to be six hours long, I'm sure they'd let him make a six hour long <laughs> movie about the TT fly. If he wanted to do it. Just a little bit of note on note on tenant. I've watched that movie like five or six times. And every time I'm like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah. I, I still, yeah. it's still so hard to understand and, and put it into like, maybe my mind is not, I don't have a high enough IQ to fully grasp the movie. But maybe that's also why I like it. It's like I can't put my head around it. You know, like the whole time inversion is crazy. Tenet took me about three viewings to kind of still kind of get it right. I don't think I still completely gotten it. But there are some, you know, set pieces in there that are great. You know, that opening sequence is, I think, signature. I think Nolan now, with the exception of this movie, but with a lot of his action movies, he likes to start it off with that big kind of action sequence or something big that's going on you know i'm thinking about dark knight and that whole bank robbery scene tenant had that big you know kind of terrorist takeover of yeah. that but um i think he's you know he can do whatever he wants now universal yeah. has kind of given him a blank check and well, now, that, now he's at universal they should just he should do a movie that they can build a ride at and i can go universal studios and go experience a christopher nolan film this is the ultimate opportunity to make a you know, an attraction out of a, his movie. So let's get let's get going. You What's he gonna you do? You think next? they'll do? Are they gonna do an atomic bomb ride? Do you think? Or like, I mean, come on, you, you go on the tram and we'll you can experience a full uh, thermal nuclear explosion in your face. That'd be a PR nightmare. I don't think you're gonna put it right next ah. to Super Nintendo World. Just come on the Oppenheimer ride and get blown up. I don't I don't know if that's gonna work. But uh, so another let film me ask we should you, do with Universal. Let me ask you this question: Do you? If Christopher Nolan were to make just serious subject matter and kind of stick to things like Dunkirk, Oppenheimer, and not make any more fantasy or action films, would you be okay with that? Would you still go and see his films? Of course. I would go see it. I think no matter what he makes, he's still going to be at the top of his game, a masterclass filmmaker and a visionary and, and kind of pushing the limit. So I can appreciate a good film and not necessarily like still enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? Is that like two conflicting ideas? Like I can appreciate, this is like a well-made film. I can appreciate the editing, the, the dialogue, the acting's great, the story's great, but like, I just, you know, I'm not enjoying it as much as like a Batman film or an Inception film or even like the prestige. So I would still watch any of his films, but I mean, I think he will still do some kind of, uh, science fiction, sci-fi action movie because he'll probably get paid a lot of money to do so. There's been talk that I think he is quoted as saying something on the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing, that he would love the opportunity to do a Bond movie. So that would be something, of course, I would watch. So yeah, I'm not a fanboy. Maybe I am, but you know, sign me up for any Christopher Nolan 
movie. He 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 had me since you know Memento. I don't I'm not sure how I feel about him doing a Bond film. I mean, I think you're right. I think he would give it a unique and it would be an ambitious film. That that would be I mean, Christopher Nolan has got a wide range, so I'm not saying he couldn't kill it on a Bond film. I I will, you know, I'll buy a ticket and go see it if he does do one. I just hope that I think all the attention that this one's getting, especially all the critical acclaim it's getting, it's definitely going to get a lot of Oscar attention. He's probably going to get a Best Director nod for this. And yeah. if he wins, I think he's not won. I don't think he has been. He has not won a Best Director no uh, Oscar yet. But I think there are some directors who, once they win, you know, that Best Directing statuette, they kind of tend to just start doing serious stuff after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the one exception is probably James Cameron. So, although, you know, avatars, those films yeah. are definitely more in the fantasy realms, but, uh, he's, I think Nolan, I, I mean, I hope that Nolan would not go back to, yeah, to more of his more science fiction. And, and I'm not always a big fan of his action stuff too. I mean, I love the Batman films, but the one thing I think I like the least about those films is the action. I think his his action scenes are kind of confusing. The editing yeah. is a little bit muddy and the sound dialogue. Well, let's speak about the the sound mixing on this. How did you feel? Christopher Nolan kind of has that rep that his sound mixing can be hard to understand dialogue. Yeah, the sound mixing was okay. The dialogue is is kind of thick um, in terms of there's a lot there. And maybe that kind of and dampens my enjoyment of the movie as well, even though I know it's well-written and it's well-acted and it's well-performed uh, and directed. If it's too dialogue-heavy, I'm not going to have as much fun at the movie because I want to, sometimes I just want to sit back and relax and have a good show and not have to think so much. But yeah, I think uh, the mixing maybe is not, you know, left something to be a desired a little bit. Do you think? Well, I mean, I think this film, as compared to, say, like The Dark Knight Rises, where there were times I did not understand a single word that Bane was saying. I had to turn the captions on. I think at the very beginning of Oppenheimer, there was a couple of scenes where I was like, I I could not make out what that guy was saying. And I thought again, I was like, why why can't he just up the gain on, on when people are talking? And why is it so muddy? But I think after that initial, and I think it was within the first 10 minutes, I think the rest of the movie, I think the sound mixing was actually really good. I think he... I could understand the dialogue perfectly. And there is, you know, there's a lot of sound editing going in this. Another thing Christopher Nolan likes to do is he likes to have that like kind of background, kind of almost monotone buzz going through the score. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. He had that in, I think in Batman or in the dark Knight. he had that Um, in a lot of them. He, it's just a low key kind of like hum kind of electronic buzz. And I kind of felt it in this movie as well. But I think this was clearest in regards to sound mixing, in regards to me being able to understand what the actors are saying. I think this and Dunkirk were probably his best movies. But there are parts of Tenet where I could not understand, you know, yeah, what they were saying. Sometimes like they they're they're talking in such complicated terms and pretty quickly. You know, these are not simple ideas they're talking about, whether it's physics of a bomb or the you know the physics of time inversion or or whatever you take a subject matter he doesn't talk about it in simple terms he will find the most 
intricate and complex ways to to create dialogue and talk about that matter. So yeah, like I said, there's a lot to take in with his films and, and that could be said about, that, that, that could be why the sound mixing could be hard because <laughs> there's a lot being said. <laughs> it's very dialogue heavy sometimes. I mean, but at the same time, you you, you look at like a, a, a writer slash director like Aaron Sorkin, which is also very, very dialogue heavy, but I feel like it flows a little bit better and it kind of is naturally processed by my brain better than like a Nolan film. But both are like a lot of dialogue, you know what I'm saying? So maybe maybe no. maybe Sorkin kind of like has a better grasp on how people actually talk in real life. No, he's and definitely getting better with it. Yeah. Okay, here's the big here's the big question, Bryn. Do you think this is his best movie? Uh no. What's your favorite Christopher Nolan movie? My favorite Christopher Nolan movie is uh is you might be surprised. It's Batman Begins. Okay. Yeah. What's yours? I think this movie is his most ambitious. I think this is his, I'm not saying it's his crowning, I think it's his crowning achievement so far because he is going to get a lot of buzz, a lot of talk when it comes to um, award season. I think this film is going to be up there with anything else that comes out. It I might think be his in, most acclaimed movie. I think he's going to win think, the most awards for this movie. Right. What I like the most and what I, for my taste, um, wow. my enjoyment, Batman Begins was my favorite Nolan film. But yeah, I he's going to win awards for this for sure. I would say my favorite Nolan film in overall enjoyability was The Dark Knight. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was, he took what he did in Batman Begins and I think, you know, some of his action sequences in there were kind of poorly edited, hard to follow. But he really refined that in The Dark Knight. A lot of that, you know, my enjoyment of The Dark Knight was also because of Heath Ledger's performance. I thought his Joker was great. The writing, you know, Christopher Nolan's writing, I think him and his brother uh, did the screenplay for that, you know, was brilliant the way they their portrayal of the Joker and his you know, one of the things I loved about that movie was how he kept changing his origin story to everybody he would tell it to, mm -hmm. you know, and it was, it, and I, I just love that aspect of it. So I think The Dark Knight was a more complete, full, uh, definitely a more mature and step up from Batman Begins, which I also loved. Yeah. I thought that was great. I thought The Dark Knight Rises was just a tiny step backwards from that. Still a great movie. I thought it was a satisfying conclusion to the trilogy. But I would have to say my, if you ask me what my favorite Christopher Nolan movie is, it would be The Dark Knight. Yeah, well, I think most people would probably say that. And I think The Dark Knight is an amazing film. I think a lot of what makes that movie great, though, is Heath Ledger's performance. Not to say Christopher Nolan didn't, doesn't deserve a lot of praise for that as well, but like I'm almost just floored by watching Heath Ledger more than like enjoying everything else about the movie, which is still good. But for me, like Batman Begins was a perfect like origin story for Batman and like the way the themes in the movie kind of permeate in the film and kind of come full circle at a times and just what it means to take on the mantle of Batman and become Batman was just, it was all spot on in that movie. Maybe we can talk about it in another podcast, but, but yeah, that was a, my favorite, one of my favorite movies of all time, actually. But yeah, I think to, to bring it back to this film, this subject matter is so different than most things he's done right i mean i mean god we're talking about the atomic bomb here um and it did change the course of history and you kind of feel that in the movie but 
I don't know, I want to keep this podcast like super enjoyable, but like this is a dark subject matter, like the atomic bomb. Like what, what's your thoughts about how that came out in the film and what you think it, it meant in terms of history, the whole, you know, Oppenheimer project, the whole. Bomb. Well, the thing I, I found going into this movie, I was a little bit surprised because I thought it was going to be more about just, you know, being at Los Alamos and you right. know, trying to figure out how to make this atomic bomb work. Like a race against time. Be, that's what I thought was going right. to be. Before the Germans get it, before the Russians get it. Like that, that was right. going to be like the main part of the movie. But really, that was just a part of it. It was just like a, it was. Know, a subplot. I think the main, the main focus of this movie is we're dealing with his security clearance um, trial in a right. way. And, you know, and they, right. And they flash back to the Los Alamos. And even before that, you know, how he was coming up, you know, and then flash forward to, the Senate confirmation hearing of Robert Downey Jr.'s character. I forget his, the, who, I think, he, I believe he was trying to go for the Secretary of Commerce. Yeah, Strauss. And, right, Strauss. I was kind of surprised with that. But that is, you know, that's the main frame of this movie. And it seems like the atomic bomb part of it is just a way, or is just a part of this, his security clearance trial and the, um, the, confirmation of Strauss for the commerce secretary position. I think that was a unique take and I liked it because it kind of felt like in equal parts like courtroom drama and, you know, history biopic. I think everybody is aware. Well, maybe not everybody. I'm, I'm older, so I just think everybody thinks like I do. You know, I did see that first movie. I think it's still called Fat Man, Little Boy, about the actual development and they spent their whole time on the development of the atomic bomb the trials and and just the scope of what they had to do to try to beat the germans to you know develop this weapon and try to end world war ii i think i love the way that christopher nolan didn't i know this was also based on the book american prometheus mm -hmm. which also kind of took that same kind of framing where they were concentrating on you know his security clearance trial and how he was kind of you know, just how that kind of really kind of put a stain on his achievements up until yeah. that point, which is great because it, it leads to a lot of drama. And it's not just a straightforward, oh, my gosh, we're building this bomb because it is it's a very complicated. It's a very weighty subject because thing that he unleashed, I think, a quote that they, he used in the movie and used a lot. You know, it's like, I have become death, the destroyer of worlds. Yeah. And that's literally that's what it is, you know. And and the thing that they, you know, highlighted in the movie was after he had developed it and it was successful, you could see he felt regret about that, you know, and he wanted to, he was trying to push for, let's not get in an arms race. Let's kind of pull back from this because if we keep, you know, trying to develop, because he was against the development of the hydrogen bomb. He did not, he felt like we don't need to go there. Yeah, um, that's like a grander you, scale, right? I mean, that's right. He's like, and then that's just, yeah, we can just, we're going to develop this so we can kill even more people. Yeah. So he was very much, you know, trying to pull back from that. And I think, you know, that's what kind of started the whole, why they wanted to revoke his security clearance and why Strauss was kind of against him because, you know, the sentimentality at that point was we need to stay ahead of the Soviets and we need to develop it before they do. And yeah. Oppenheimer was very, he did not want to get into an arms race. So yeah. it is a, you know, I would hate to be 
considered the father of the atomic bomb. Can you imagine you know? what that would feel like? Like, I don't know. I mean, this is we're talking about a guy that really existed. I mean, it's a real person, but what was what was going through his mind? Like, what was his life like? Even more so in the movie show, what was his life like after that? Like, how can you live with that for the rest of your life of knowing what you created, you know, and how many people you were indirectly responsible for killing? So, man, that's just, that's, that's, that's mind blowing in and of itself, just knowing what he had to deal with based on his experience. And that's, that's one thing too. Another thing too, that I, I kind of think about jokingly a little bit is like, man, there's some smart people that exist in this world today and back then. And I feel pretty dumb sometimes compared to people that are scientists and doctors and people that do all these amazing, fantastic things. And I'm just a stupid guy who does podcasts and does a simple job. Like, thank God there's geniuses out there that make important decisions and, and carry this stuff out. But man, the stuff they deal with is insane. Yeah. It's a very, you know, morally, it's it's a tough, tough thing to, obviously, everybody who worked on the project were very smart. And there were a lot of people who had very real moral qualms about what they were doing. You know, what they did, the destructive part of it was why they were put on that project. But a lot of beneficial stuff came out of that as well, right? You know, we learned how to split the atom and use it for positive things like producing energy and, and just being able to control nature a little bit. Some people would argue that that's very, you know, that's something we shouldn't be doing. We shouldn't be playing God like that. But yeah. it is a, you know, I like I said, I, I couldn't imagine being in his shoes. I couldn't and either. Especially, that's just crazy. Right. after You know, especially after it happened and you realize that, you know, and it's amazing that when we dropped the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, we, no, no other country, nobody else in the world has dropped a nuclear device or used a nuclear device um, in times of war. So just that it took those two things and, and the world saw the destructive power of an atomic bomb and thought, holy crap, we could literally end the world if right. we were to go into a war like this. Right. Which some people will argue is, is well, that's great because now there's deterrent. And there's even though we have all these weapons, we also know if we launch them, we are going to we are dooming pretty ourselves. much ensure yeah we are pretty much going to ensure just mutual destruction it's something to think that back in 1945 a, a team of people developed this awesome weapon right and um and we actually used it we've never used it since but we have developed the te technology further and we have those weapons that are yeah, ready to be that's, used let's hope we never have to use it again and i hope it never gets used against us i mean that's just i mean we could talk for hours about you know, weapons weapons of mass destruction and what it all means but but man what a powerful film kind of like we we talked about and i don't know kind of to wrap things up a little bit what would you give oppenheimer in terms of thumbs up thumbs down uh, one to ten like what's your recommendation what's your brief review or take of oppenheimer i would definitely say go out and see it if you haven't seen it already Go out and see it as soon as possible. See it in a movie theater. I do believe this will be getting a lot of attention during award season. It's a great movie. It's definitely, I said that The Dark Knight was his best movie. I would say this is his second best movie. Really enjoyed it. The acting was great. The directing was great. 
he's definitely probably going to get a directing nod as well. So, yes, enthusiastic. Go out and see it. Two thumbs up from me. Right. I would say I agree. Two thumbs up. I think it really depends though, a little bit on what you're looking for in a movie. If you want to go back, if you want to go into like a heavy action film, go watch Mission Impossible. If you really appreciate excellent filmmaking, excellent um, acting, um, and just mastery in, in overall cinema, Oppenheimer is about as good as it gets. So yes, this is definitely a recommended movie. The Popcorn Society recommends this movie, which means you should watch it as well. Like I said, we could talk about this all night long, but uh, we want to make sure that you guys have time to go out there and watch it and tell us what you think. All that good stuff. All right. What are we going to talk about next? On our next episode, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to dive into some more. We like to talk about, you know, this was kind of heavily talked, heavily uh, focused on Christopher Nolan. We're going to dive into some James Gunn. He's in the news a lot lately for a lot of reasons in terms of taking over the DC universe. And he is most recent, his last film we're going to talk about, which is Guardians of the Galaxy. Volume three will be next on the Popcorn Society. So please look out for that. Tune in, and uh, we look forward to bringing that to you. Troy, what do you think about Guardians of the Galaxy? Excited to talk about that one? Yeah. I mean, talk about another director who's done three superhero movies. So, yeah, it's going to be fun to talk about. So I can't wait. All right. We are just getting started, folks. This podcast is going to be developing. We are glad that you're with us along on the ride, and we look forward to bringing you more Popcorn Society. Have a good day. We love you. Take care. And we'll look for a better tagline next time.